I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the Internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello, and welcome to the UK Film Review Podcast. My name is Corey, and joining me this week is Robert. Hello. Yes, and uh, we will both be talking about period dramas uh, in conjunction with the release of Downton Abbey, A New Era, coming out April 29th. Uh, we're, very, uh, we're very excited. I'm very excited to see the next Downton Abbey film. I very enjoyed the first one and the TV series. Robert, are you a fan of uh, Downton Abbey? Uh, actually, no, I've never seen an episode of it, um, unfortunately, and I didn't see the first film either. Um, I'm guessing the first film wasn't that accessible to newcomers, to newcomers anyway. Actually, um, I saw the film before I watched the series, um, cause I had to take my mom to it and, uh, really I knew what Down Abbey was, but never was a huge, wasn't, wasn't watching it weekly. But after I saw the film, I was like, you know what, I'll check out the whole thing. And I thoroughly enjoyed it. So if you were thinking about just, if you were curious about it, the film is actually kind of a good spot to understand it all. Even though it's like everything that happened in the series still is like in effect in the movie, it's still, they still make it accessible for new audiences. Okay. All right. Well, that's good at least, you know, cause they're on yeah. like, like, like movie adaptations of TV shows don't always do that. And it's cool when they do. Yeah, well, like, uh, what's well, interesting fact about Down Abbey is that when it was being um, developed, it was intended to be a spin-off of another film, the first film we'll be talking about tonight, uh, Gosford Park, uh, directed by Robert Altman, but written by Julian Fellows, who was the creator of Down Abbey. So essentially, he you know wrote Down Abbey back in two thousand and one for Robert Altman, and then kind of the idea stayed with him, and he developed into a different series, Down Abbey, later on, but. With Gosford Park, 
which came out in 2001, starred Helen Mirren, Michael Gambon, uh, Kristen Scott Thomas, Charles Dance, a whole ensemble mm-hmm. of some of Britain's, Britain's, yeah, Britain's finest thespians. And of course, an appearance by the wonderful American character actor, Bob Balaban. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it is a uh, terrific film for us to get started off with. Um, Robert, what, what really uh, stands out to you about uh, Gosford Park as a period drama? Uh, okay, well, what stood out to me when I was watching it is uh, a lot of it felt like um, it, like individual moments, but not a lot of important scenes until we got further into the film when, uh, to give like a bit of a spoiler warning, uh, in case you don't know, uh, the murder then happens, you know, and then it kind of be- it gets a bit more focused. But for the first, like... 70 minutes of it it's more just like you there there are just all these like side stories you know that just so happen to revolve around this like gathering uh so as a result i didn't like i didn't find it like hugely engaging but there was something about it that i could still identify as being well written uh there was still a lot of good acting on display and uh, i do think that robert altman was trying to um uh direct it in a manner that would like suck you into the drama that's going on uh but i think that in the second half it does like become better once you kind of get more of an understanding of what's going on and why everything's like happening and why this murder has taken place and it does just come down to a couple of like select people uh but despite but you know but despite that um you know i didn't i i i didn't love the movie really um but i i did i will still like I, I still respect it. You know, I still respect it, like how it's put together. Mm-hmm. No, I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed Gosford Park. I'm a huge fan of um, Robert Altman. Uh, he, he is known for kind of large ensemble pictures uh, with uh, huge casts and kind of just exploring these uh, different types of uh, societies. But yeah, with Gosford Park, it's definitely like the upstairs, downstairs, um, class split of a large english manor so it's like the cast is split between the visitors the wealthy visitors of the shooting party and then the various uh servants butlers uh footmen uh valets uh very and it's you know very very similar to kind of a structure of the downton abbey series so um if you if you're on if you're on if yeah if you're new to watching gosford park you'll find that structure quite familiar because of the show but um no i really enjoyed gosford park because i think it just it it definitely examines um the idea of like civilized society from these two different spectrums and just kind of how it's hypocritical in places especially with like michael gambin's character like the lord and how he's supposed to be kind of dignified but uh he, he isn't and um so yeah there's a lot there's a lot of interesting uh contradictions going on between kind of the two classes of people uh and like truly what is like the uh considered civilized mm-hmm. yeah 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 I, I, I might give it a rewatch and kind of try and really think of it under under those lenses because um i mean what's interesting about these movies is that um they they kind of have a tendency to uh like be so heavily focused on like dialogue and stuff like that because in some ways that's kind of how it was back in the day uh that like th- th- there's a lot that can be missed if you're not really paying attention like 
movies like that and a lot of the other ones that we're going to mention are ones that benefit heavily from like you know like paying attention and also they're kind of dependent upon like how the writers and the directors handle them because you know they can either be really really engaging or just very very flat uh like uh, like one thing that was just on my mind that i'm wondering is uh like what like why do you think the audiences seem to i wouldn't say all audiences but why do you think that a lot of people find like movies set in the past to be quite boring oh boring i I thought the uh thought the question but the other way around so interesting but um it it could be because of what you just mentioned in fact it's quite dialogue driven um a, a film like gosford park um it's set you know it's it's mostly just people sitting in rooms um a lot of it's it takes place in a drawing room just uh you know, characters sitting around, lounging, playing the piano, drinking, playing cards. That's it's very, it's a mellow atmosphere. And it's same with like the downstairs elements, just people working in the kitchen or sitting around their their own table. Um, and so, yeah, it's from a from a visual standpoint. If you're quickly glancing at it, it doesn't seem very interesting. Of course, um, the the films we're talking about tonight make it very visually interesting, mm-hmm. not just through mm-hmm. the cinematography it's the cinematography the production design the costume design and how it kind of recreates that world but yeah no if i have to guess why someone might find a film like gosford park boring it is because of just how like just from a glance nothing seems like it's happening but many things are happening it's all in the way that it's constructed yeah absolutely yeah 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 and um uh, it's also I, I i think what it kind of is as well is like it's not just about what's happening i think it's also just about the look um Mm -hmm. you know like it's it's i think just the way that the past looks to people who didn't grow up in that time period in in the time period that's being focused on because obviously a period piece can technically be a film that was set in like the early 2000s now uh you know like 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 depending on how far you go back the less and less chance you're gonna like be showing the film to people that grew up in that time period. Like you got, you could go all the way back to like the 1800s or the 1700s and stuff like that. And that's a period who, you know, anybody seeing the film nowadays probably won't have experienced. So that kind of, it's, it, there, there's something weirdly just kind of, particularly when you focus on like, you know, technically very nice, but still very like old fashioned, like mansions, gardens, mm-hmm. uh, towns, uh, buildings, all that kind of stuff. For some reason, I think that just inherently, if if you don't have some sort of visual familiarity with that yourself based on growing up in places like that, then you might find that kind of just boring to look at. Yeah, true. But like that's what you were bringing up, those kind of like visual hallmarks with period dramas. Like, yes, technically you could encompass any period, like uh, a film set in the early 2000s, uh, like, something like Lady Bird, like that could mm. be considered a period drama or like yeah. technically a Western can be considered a period drama. But Absolutely. usually for like the general audience, for most people, when you say period drama, it's always like costume dramas set in, you know, the the 18th century, the 19th century. It's ball, it's, you know, ballrooms, gowns, manners. Um, that's kind of what we're locked into. And that's kind of like, that kind of follows in with like a lot of the films that we decided to kind of review and watch over the, in preparation for this. Cause like our, kind of our next topic is, uh, uh kind of tragic romances, um, within period dramas. It's, uh, we're looking kind of keeping in line with, um, 
films about servants with the remains of the day mm-hmm. uh, directed by James Ivory of you know, Merchant Ivory Productions, uh, 1993 starring Anthony Hopkins and Emma Thompson. Uh, Emma Thompson. Mm-hmm. It, um, I watched it for the first time this week. I loved it. <laughs> Even though it's uh, like you would say, uh, someone someone else might consider it quite boring because nothing really happens, but it's all happening behind the scenes. It's all about how kind of life passes by, and then the regret that comes with it. Uh, yeah, I I, I I I did really like it as well, um, and that was uh, a bit surprising to me because um, you know I, I I don't know like upon hearing about the t- upon like hearing the title. Uh, and even like, uh, funnily enough, my introduction to like this movie, like the first time I ever heard about it was in like a family guy joke or something where the kind of, um, I, I, I'll, I'll, I'll send you like the link to the joke later, but it, but it is quite a <laughs> reference to the film supposedly being like boring or whatever. But then, but you know, I watched it and I was like, well, this is actually like quite engaging. And I think the reason why it is engaging is because of the main character that Hopkins plays because, uh, he's a guy who is both like very professional and polite, but also to an extent to where that's a problem because he can't just say how he feels, you know. He, yes. like, he can't properly do the right do the things that he actually does need to do. Or no, 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 he does do the things that he needs to do, but he doesn't really do what he wants to do, or he ignores yeah. what he's doing. Like, uh, like yeah, that... early on with like the father, uh, Emma mm-hmm. Thompson kind of challenges it a bit all throughout the film, and then it becomes. But basically a series of scenes where you're just like wanting him to confess how he feels about Emma Thompson because he's clearly in love with her, but he just won't, you know, because he, cause he can't. No, yeah, no, yeah, because, yeah, Remains of a Day uh, field also carries through similar themes to what we were discussing before, which is like the, the difference between uh, classes in this time. You know, Anthony Hopkins plays a, a butler in a in a very fancy manner in uh, England in the 1930s, the the Lord he works for is, as we learn, a Nazi sympathizer mm-hmm. and is um, hosting various guests uh, to discuss appeasement uh, towards Hitler and the Axis forces. And it's, it's a very interesting contrast in terms of just like what Hopkins believes. Cause he just, he's, he's, he's in service. He has no like political, opinions like the only thing that matters is that the house runs correctly that he serves his lord correctly and it's um it's an interesting personal conflict because it it goes between the uh two time frames you know post-war pre-war and you kind of see how that um misguided sense of loyalty has changed him as a man and has affected essentially his whole life because you know you speak of the a romance with Thompson's character who plays the um, the housekeeper of the same manner. And it's just like um, they were both kind of like caught in this, uh, you know, cowardice almost like this, pr- the pressures of like their position and within society, you know, they had to, they had to be what they thought they had to be and not who they wanted to be. It's a very, it's yeah. a very tragic film. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Both of them, like one of them goes one way, the other one goes the other way, you know, and that's kind of, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's quite, quite clearly exemplified in like the final scene that they share, uh, the kind of, the oh, that, that scene is heartbreaking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and also the visual, like, I, and I know that like, I think 
uh one of the like ivory brothers said that like that this wasn't supposed to be symbolic but i do see symbolism in the bit in the um uh pigeon scene at the end because it seems way too (laughs) innocuous to be like um a literal ending so i think it's symbolic and you know my my mum actually had quite good interpretation of it when she watched it because um she kind of said that what she thinks the pigeon represents is uh the shooing away of uh life or emotion or you know investment or anything like that it's basically just like getting it out there getting it out of the mansion so therefore it will just go away so therefore there's so therefore the room in the mansion is basically empty and not full of Mm -hmm. life just full of you know people that are basically just being things you know things to keep it running things to keep it going you know and um i i found that i kind of had a bit of a similar interpretation as well but i i found that to be really interesting you know was there an opinion on it i know i think uh you're absolutely on the money with that because when you think about how kind of how that final shot is you know they let the bird out and hopkins closes the window essentially you know trapping himself in his past because um mm-hmm. even though um the house is under like new ownership uh, by christopher reeve mm-hmm. uh, reeve's character who is i think is amazing in this movie yeah i uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. always like seeing christopher reeve show up in a non-superman part i agree and just yeah. kind of flexing his acting muscles i agree yeah. and showing us how incredible he was but um yeah i know like hopkins is just willingly trapped himself um because he just doesn't know what else to be he's he's stuck um and and yeah it's just it's it is a very tragic film of just kind of like uh especially in contrast when you consider other characters you know there's there's mentions of like servants who have run run off together to you know Mm -hmm. to to marry and to be in love and Mm -hmm. uh, hopkins always regards it like as a nuisance like oh we'll have to hire someone else and it's just like Mm -hmm. he never went off to like live his life He, he his life was in service of as we find out a very cowardly and uh, stupid man who, who, mm-hmm. who bought into vicious propaganda. <laughs> yeah. 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 I, I mean, in general, it's basically one of like the many films that's about like, uh, why it's not always good to be really dedicated to your job. Cause you know, in this mm-hmm. case, that's actually kind of a bad thing. Although you could, you could kind of strip the job away and argue it's more of a, like an emotional study, you know, where it's all about. It like, is definitely more of a emotional study, but like it, it is, uh, in terms of like the framework of like the period drama, exploring class and those different roles in it like it it is uh it's a good balance of both i feel mm-hmm. but definitely yeah. the, the emotion of remains of a day is um really incredible and hopkins and thompson uh just act their butts off yeah yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely absolutely and so kind of and weirdly enough like to kind of transition it onto like the age of innocence another film that's in a similar genre mm-hmm. as well uh, i kind of noticed that both the movies like they came out the same year and uh, they heavily utilized crossfades as well. And that's probably just a coincidence, but that was watching the movies back to back. It was like, it was very noteworthy that they were kind of edited in a very like similar fashion. You know, I don't, I, and I don't think they, they even had the same editor, but you know, and I know that crossfades are common, but they both heavily use crossfades. No, I don't think they had the same editor. Age of Innocence was directed by Martin Scorsese and every Scorsese film is edited by Thelma Schoonmaker. And I don't mm-hmm. think she did Remains of a Day. But however, Thelma Schoonmaker is one of the, one of the more influential editors mm-hmm. <laughs> um, of, the, of the last you know, 40, 50 years, however the Longos two have been making films. So those, those similarities um, 
while co- coincidental are probably part of the whole kind of just what editors are able to kind of learn from each other and on instinct. But uh, yeah, no, let's talk about the age of innocence real quick. Uh, as I said, directed by Scorsese, it stars um, Daniel Day Lewis, Michelle Pfeiffer, and uh, Winona Ryder. It's set it, unlike our, some of our other examples. This one's set in America in the around the 1870s in New York City. So uh, if if any of our listeners have been watching like The Gilded Age, uh, it's kind of that similar type of uh, setting, I believe, of uh, an American costume drama. <laughs> but uh, it's in parallel. In contrast to Remains of a Day, Age of Innocence kind of stays focused on the upper echelons of society. Uh, uh, D- Daniel Day Lewis's character, who's he had a great name. I just want to just double check. I'm getting it right. It's like, it was um, Newland Archer. Mm-hmm. Yes, Newland Archer. He is a he's a to he's to be married to Winona Ryder's character. Yet the arrival of Michelle Pfeiffer's um, Countess uh, Alenska. It creates a love triangle and um, it really is about like, what's again, like what's more important, like your own desires or what's expected from you within society. And it's this uh, great dilemma within Newland's character, which Scorsese, I think does an incredible job with like, again, a, a quite a, quite a tragic romance uh, age of innocence is. Yeah, I agree. Uh, the romance aspect was like the main thing that kind of um, kept me a bit interested in it, like seeing, you know, how far Newland would go and whether or not they'd get together, whether or not he'd break up w- with his own wife, you know, or his own like fiance and stuff like that. And um, it just sort of, um, it, it did have like, again, a heavy element of tragedy to it because in some ways it doesn't, like they, they don't end up together. Uh, but at the same time though, um it was interesting watching the film uh, kind of very heavily emphasize that romance and that kind of connection. Uh, I think that um, uh, Day Lewis and Pfeiffer have very good like chemistry and they kind of convey this kind of longing mm. for each other that, that they can't quite act upon. And it, like, it's interesting because it's the kind of thing that like, you know, I almost had to like read up on stuff to like get all the subtle, the subtleties of it but the subtleties are kind of to do with like, you know, well, why well in the film itself that it's not really subtle, but like, I kind of fully got the point of like, you know, it's how Pfeiffer was like viewed in society that, that she wasn't really respected. And, you know, there was this, there's a lot of like pressures on the various people involved to like be perfect and be good and stuff like that. And then you kind of, and you see that they're not. And yeah, at the same time, you can also see the issues of like that kind of repression no yeah there's a lot of like uh inner politics within society you know you got to rub elbows with the right people in order to uh stay seated at the table and uh with yeah with pfeiffer's character she is uh the estranged wife of a european count and so she's uh back in america and i think day lewis's character is initially her, her like divorce lawyer or her attorney to handle whatever kind of settlement they can get out of it. And yet they, they fall in love and it becomes uh, a forbidden, a forbidden romance. But uh, you know, one of the things that I really enjoyed about age of innocence is kind of the, just the use of it. The, the, it's beautifully shot. 
and I, all of these films are all of these films use its uses its imagery um, in really effective ways. Like when you were talking about kind of the chemistry between Pfeiffer and Day Lewis, I think my favorite one of my favorite bits of the film is when uh, it's kind of halfway through. He's looking for her, and he finds her like looking out in the at, at like at the seafront, mm-hmm. and he's just staring at her, waiting for her to turn around. And it's kind of this game they're playing, and it reminded me of like The Great Gatsby in the in the book where it's just you know yeah. Gatsby would kind of look across the look across the bay because he, he lived right across from um daisy buchanan's house and he was just kind yeah. of this this silent vigil he held mm-hmm. over his lost yeah. love and it's just and again you know Gatsby a story that takes place in the you know the roaring 20s uh of America so slightly slightly uh, in the future from Age of Innocence but you know that that time of great american prosperity which i feel scorsese tries to capture here as well it's the it's the high society of new york city the greatest city in america as some might might consider it <laughs> but like lots of sequences of you know uh at the opera at, at uh, fancy banquets uh, dances and it's just it's a whole it's a richness of uh of production design of costume design which is what um I feel probably what draws a lot of filmmakers to period dramas is just that you really get to flex these artistic artistic muscles and just put your actors in the finest costumes on the finest sets and just mm-hmm. um, really make something great. I mean, so many of these films have um, dance sequences, like like in ballrooms and. Mm-hmm. And they're all of them are exquisite. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. What well, was part of why they? actually cost quite a lot of money because you know it costs a lot of money to um uh recreate the past because mm. you know you, you, like you have to do so much and you have to like get costumes that are like period accurate as well um yeah 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 so so yeah i mean in, in yeah in that film it was really um like lovely and well made and, and very like prestigious and stuff like that um you know it's interesting like how a lot of times when like people think of like i don't know a prestige film uh, they kind of think of a film that is typically like set in the past or is based on true events or so- or something like that because I think it's, it's probably just because of the image that the films create themselves uh, and that doesn't it doesn't always have to be like actually indicative of like quality it can just sort of be that it looks like there was a lot of money put into it or it looks like it's made by people who are very, very esteemed or talented um you know and it kind of overall it creates this kind of vibe you know that is kind of present in many different films yeah that's a that's a way to look at it um i do say like yeah like the the films especially this film like they all look expensive but i feel like it it's it's used effectively um yeah but uh yeah i know like it is one of those things where it's like that's part of filmmaking you've got to you gotta, you gotta put, you gotta put your money on the screen. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I do yeah. feel that like the that period dramas um, are still quite popular. I feel people are still drawn to them, even though like there's a debate on um, does everyone find them interesting? I'd say no, because actually, um, I don't know about you, but I was not the biggest fan of period dramas for a long time. My kind of love for them has only been a recent uh, thing, only of the last few years. Oh well, I, I'm on the one hand, there are plenty of 
films that you could technically call period pieces that I liked mm-hmm. even as a kid. And there are I would say like the it. more of the kind of the costume drama ones we've been discussing, like yeah, obviously, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, more 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 of those. I think like I actually had to grow up to be able to enjoy watching and even then there are still plenty of them where it's like i watch them and you know i'm just sort of um i'm just sort of not like that engaged in them um mm-hmm. but still but still i mean you know i still yeah i mean it, like i i i mean i i'd say probably like half of these movies you know i probably some of them i've already seen but like many of them i at least saw when i did actually have the opportunity to appreciate them you know like potentially appreciate them i mean yeah, so I guess I was I was a bit lucky in that sense, because um, you know I could have easily popped in any of these films when I was a kid and then just you know fallen asleep because I just wasn't like I wasn't in the right mindset. Yeah, because like yeah, the reason I bring that up is because um, I want to move over to a few films, uh, kind of moving away from tragic romances into more optimistic romances in the kind of Jane Austen adaptations because uh some of these films that uh we'll be talking about uh, especially like you know pride and prejudice which came out in 2005 i remember that when that was released i had no interest in seeing that even though i was like 11 but like you know mm-hmm. my mom and sisters really wanted to it was just one of those things just like ah that's not for me i want to see batman and now i'm oh, here we are you yeah. know 10 10 15 years later i'm just like now i'd rather watch pride and prejudice than batman <laughs> just because oh, yeah. uh it is such a wonderful and lovely film, uh, Pride and Prejudice, directed by Joe Wright in 2005, starring Keira Knightley, Matthew McFadden, and Donald Sutherland, uh, with a ton of other incredible characters. Like Tom Hollander's in it, and he has an amazing role as the strange clergyman who uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> attempts to woo Keira Knightley's character. It's hilarious. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Um, and even, even if you like prefer, like the actresses playing the sisters as well, all of them are like, it's before they became famous. Yes, uh, Ro- Rosamund Pike's one of the sisters. Um, I think Jenna Malone is yeah. one of the sisters. Uh, I was going to. I think Carrie Mulligan's in this film as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, yeah it yeah, is. Yeah. It is a wonderfully cast film. Uh, oh, Judy Dench has a part as well. Yeah. So, um, I love Pride and Prejudice, and again, like one of these films that I watched in preparation for this. It's always been on my list to watch Pride and Prejudice because I get this film confused with Atonement because it's the yeah. same director and kind of uh, you know, Keira Knightley's also in it. So I watched both of them within like the last month and they're both incredible. I would consider Atonement a period drama as well because it's set in the early 1900s. Uh, we won't get into it that much. I'll just say it's a masterpiece. If you haven't seen it, go watch it. If you have seen it, watch it again. <laughs> it's worth your time. But with um, Pride and Prejudice, I feel that's kind of the most famous Jane Austen novel um i feel this i've not read it but if the movie is half as good as the book then the the movie is a masterpiece uh (laughs) it is romantic it is uplifting it is beautifully shot it has all the hallmarks of a good costume drama there are dances there are manners there is yearning there is incredible characters uh kira knightley as elizabeth bennett and matthew mcfadden as mr darcy are just wonderful this film is everything going for it um all i can yeah all i can i could i could just sing its praises (laughs) day in and day out um it is a wonderful film which again like very similar to ones we've talking about just kind of explores those 
themes of kind of class. Uh, the th- class I would feel is kind of the overarching theme of the period drama of the costume drama, which is like, whatever, how does our perceptions of like place in society affect our own desires? So it's kind of like, you know, something like Pride and Prejudice, Mr. Darcy's character is expected to marry and of a certain kind of type of woman Mm -hmm. one which elizabeth bennett probably many like the upper echelons of society wouldn't consider as the right kind yet will love prevail that is the question will will pride and prejudice (laughs) prevent uh love and so uh this film uh just crafts a wonderful visual love story um because you know it is an adaptation of a novel but they they do make the visuals of this film striking there's the one of the final scenes is mr darcy's character kind of strolling across a field in the fog and you're just like my goodness <laughs> even though uh like, there's even like a sequence where the two of them briefly touch hands and it's just it's electrifying <laughs> yeah 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 I, I i annoyingly so i haven't seen this one and i actually it's weird because like my mum loves and grew up reading like jane austen and um uh as as has my like auntie as well but uh but, but me personally aside from uh, the most recent film version of emma i haven't watched any of them i haven't seen like the tv shows or the films like the closest thing i've seen is like i saw like pride and prejudice and zombies but that was it you know i didn't actually i haven't <laughs> seen this version i haven't seen like i haven't seen any of the versions you know so yeah but but, but seeing that you really liked it yeah I'll, 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 I'll try i'll try and give it a watch and um you know it's kind of it, it's interesting how log golf was like that kind of popularized it and then it's deemed popular to like you know make these versions of like these like certain classic stories i mean that's partially how they how the genre stays relevant is they just pick like popular stories to do and you know it's just it's interesting um to kind of see how that also even appeals to like young girls as well you know i mean it, it could be a bit of a gender split like maybe like you know it's a bit which could be a, a stereotype but maybe like it's it, it's the case that like young women more take to a genre like this especially if there's romance in it than young men maybe i would say that um i i do feel that austin's works uh, at least in the adaptations that i've seen can appeal to everyone um but i feel the reason why people look at austin as a is possibly like appealing to women only is because of just the strength of the female characters within them uh not to say that the main characters are slacking, Mr. Darcy mm-hmm. and, you know, Mr. Knightley and Emma and mm-hmm. um, Alan Rickman's character and Sense and Sensibility are all incredible characters, but, you know, uh, like they're nothing without the the women they adore. And so like, yeah, Keira Knightley's performance as like Elizabeth Bennet is just phenomenal. And it, it's just um, this, this whole kind of genre of this period drama in the, in all the films we've discussed before and are going to discuss, you know, the, the female, the, the women, mm-hmm. um, are highlighted um, incredibly well. Like it's just very, you know, three-dimensional nuanced characters with hopes and dreams and faults and, you know, imperfections that, um, so I feel like when you, when you say that, like, I don't think you're sexist when you're saying that like only women would enjoy Austin. I think it's just like, there's something in, within Austin's works um, and within the adaptations, which they can, which just really draws you in and just like, look at the, strength of this character not in the sense of like a, like a wonder woman thing where it's like oh look at her like 
beating people up. It's just like, look at her moral character, look at her mm -hmm. emotional strength, look, look at her desires and her fears and look how human this character is. And like, look at how, um, despite it being like the 18th century, like look at how uh, a character like Elizabeth Bennet doesn't really shy away from being who she wants to be. Like, you know, it, it's that idea, like within Pride and Prejudice, she does turn down a marriage proposal, um, which is basically like a death sentence for uh, for like your family, where it's just like you, you know, the purpose of, uh, unfortunately, the purpose of like having daughters was to marry them off and uh, like improve the family's uh, stature. And so, but like, you know, they have a character like uh, Elizabeth Bennett, just kind of saying, no, well, it's about what I personally want. And that's quite inspiring to any reader, to any viewer, just as saying like your own personal happiness is worth more than the pressures of what the world expects from you. Like you must do what's right for you. And so uh, that's definitely what makes a film like Pride and Prejudice um, and the works of Jane Austen uh, within this, within this genre. So incredible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. And to, I mean, to, to, to go on to like uh, Emma and um, and some other examples as well. Like, like weirdly enough, with like with uh, Emma, like I did, I did enjoy it. I do remember enjoying it. I watched it like uh, when it came out and stuff. And I, I do remember actually like thinking it was decent. Like thinking it was okay, but not like loving it. Um, you know, I think I watched um, I watched it back to back with uh, Clueless, and um, you know, because Clueless is also based yes. on like the Emma story. Um, and you know, even though I didn't think that the film was great, I think Clueless has stuck with me a little bit more, you know, but that could just be that that's just more my kind of genre, you know, the like teen comedy. Yeah, yeah, that's, that, I think, so I, I think, yeah, what, get, what makes people uh, really drawn to Clueless, uh, is just because it's such a great modern adaptation. I think people mm -hmm. are, are really drawn to, especially like, uh, like something like 10 things I hate about you. Like, you know, mm -hmm. that's, uh, Taming of the Shrew, Shakespeare, yeah. just mm -hmm. like, so when people are able to see kind of a classic story modernized so well, I think they're drawn to it more just because it's again, like that more familiar environment. Mm -hmm. Uh, but no, yeah, no, it, Emma, terrific film. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 I remember, um, uh, you know, I think it, um, what is it? It kind of, it, I, I, I do wonder if it got a little bit of love cause like it came out in like 2020 and stuff and people were like more, I think people, it, well, it came out before like lockdown or stuff like that. But I think a lot of people watched it during lockdown and they just felt a lot better, you know, um, you know, just watching something like very simple, like fairly uncomplicated, you know, it's basically just like for anybody who hasn't seen it, it's basically just like, uh, you know, uh, a, rom a romance pairing story where it's all like, you know, uh, I want this guy and, you know, I have feelings for this person. And, you know, it's kind of, it, it's one of those kinds of stories where it's like, you know, it's yeah, so it's a, up this person, then I'm in love with this person, you know, this person that's being, you know, and stuff like that. That's, that's, that, that's kind of what it's about. I feel. Yeah. The titular Emma Woodhouse is a matchmaker is a, uh, believes herself to, to know it all. Um, and yet it's a exploration of her vulnerability. It, it I, I saw Emma in the cinema before, covid changed everything and mm -hmm. it was a film which i was curious to see because i was in a period where i just wanted to like i just went to the movie to see everything mm -hmm. <laughs> um so it's, it almost felt like an obligation but i slowly fell in love with this film and it like the the point for me it's again like the dance scene i'm, I'm a sucker for these dance scenes and it's when her and mr knightley dance and kind of realize that there's an attraction there and it's it's, it's you know no words it's all in the movements it's on the physicality the 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 body language of love and it's it's um 
it's incredible. <laughs> I love that sequence so much. But no, the whole film is gorgeous. This film has a beautiful soundtrack, beautiful yeah. costumes, beautiful scenery. Yeah, the costumes. Um, is Anya, Anya Taylor Joy, who uh, you can see in The Northman, yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. out now, um, is incredible as uh, Miss Emma Woodhouse. But it has a, a wonderful all star cast. Bill Nye's in it, uh, Johnny Flynn's in it, Miranda Hart, Mia Goth. Um, mm-hmm. It's yeah. If you're a fan of Jane Austen, uh, or you know, and you know, fan of period dramas in general, Emma is just a great one to get on the watch list. It's um, it's a it's just a wonderful like kind of Sunday afternoon kind of film. It's it's uh, it's just it's very warm. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And, that, and that's um, you know, like how I'd recommend it as well. You know, because that, because that's what it was like. You know, like what like when I saw it and stuff like that. Um, Oh, uh, what else? Um, yeah, I think it, it it's interesting as well. Like you you compare it to like um, uh, some of the more like dramatic and like darker examples of like movies like this, which which we should probably move on to right now. I mean, would we can say that Little Women counts as like a more dramatic um, one? Or let's do let's do um, the darker dramas. Uh-huh. Uh, actually, no wait. Like, yeah, let's just do Little Women real quick because um, I love Little Women. <laughs> um, yeah. So yeah, just keeping in terms of like kind of adaptations of novels, um, I really just want to do a huge shout out to the most recent adaptation of Little Women. I know there are others, but the yeah, 2019 film, the four version, and that and that's quite good too. I, I do mean to. I am planning to watch it one day, but uh, the 2019 version, directed by Greta Gerwig, starring Saoirse Ronan, Emma Watson, Florence Pugh, Liza mm-hmm. Scanlon, Timothy Chalamet, Lord Dern, Chris mm-hmm. Cooper, Bob Odenkirk, yeah. Tracy Letts, Meryl Streep. Got to name them all because this is the film that made me fall in love with like period dramas, costume dramas. I saw this film in December 2019 in a theater, and it blew my brains out. <laughs> This thing's a masterpiece. It's a celebration of everything that's good in the world. It's it is the nostalgic joy of childhood. It's 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 everything that makes a movie good. It is everything that makes going to the movies good. I I rewatched it the other day and I was just crying. I was just floored by the the love you could just feel pouring out of this film. Everyone in it's at the top of their game. I could not believe it's Greta Gerwig's second film. We yeah. are spoiled. The masterpieces that will be coming from her for years to come. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we are not worthy. But um, yeah, so if there's anything you want to add about Little Women, we can... Uh... Yeah, I, I, I didn't love it as much, but I did, I did see it twice. <laughs> I liked it more. I, 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 I did like it more on like second viewing as well. Because um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I did think it was quite good adaptation because I think what it did was it kept to the... I think it did what, like... Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. 
With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Certain good adaptations do, which is you do basically hit all of the same story notes, but Mm -hmm. it still feels like your own take on the material, Uh, especially when it comes to like certain aspects of it, like the nonlinear stuff. Uh, yeah. the bits kind of uh, towards like 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 towards the end where they have like a certain moment where they kind of play around with the whole notion of like reality and fiction yeah yeah uh you know how they kind of um uh handle the whole like the, the whole aspect of like you know when the sister's getting sick and stuff like that and and and, and that particular element of film is done quite well especially when you take into account the non-linear aspect of it um you know i remember that being really well edited and really effective uh and yeah 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 i I remember i remember it just being like you know a very good like leap for her as a director because she was actually like making something that was a lot more complicated and a lot um a lot more like visual a lot more a lot longer uh and also a bit more complicated in terms of the themes that it was like you know trying to tackle as well yeah it's a it's you know phil one of the most famous books ever written it's it's been adapted countless times it's been influential for many 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 people it's one of those things where it's like if you're going to kind of step up to that plate you got to make sure you mm-hmm. you hit it right and i feel she does in spades it's it is a wonderful film i, I it's one of those things where it's like i don't even know how i can even correctly like talk about it without just gushing praise because it is i think yeah. you gotta see, you gotta see it to believe it almost if, if i can just kind of like <laughs> pass yeah, the buck yeah, out yeah, yeah. it's like well, it's well, like well, it's well, so well, good well, trust well, us well. just go out and watch it just just trust us it's fantastic you'll yeah, love the, it yeah, the, the, <laughs> there is emotional quality to it that i think like certain people will get and certain people won't um mm-hmm. uh oh, oh yeah and also another noteworthy thing about it as well it's one of the few like major movies i've seen that has like the user certificate over here that's not like uh more directly aimed at kids or anything like that that's that true was, that yeah really, like surprise for the whole family uh-huh. yeah fun for the whole family yeah so if you got kids they can watch little women yeah absolutely. there's no excuse yeah. now definitely, definitely. Yeah, yeah 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 and um yeah absolutely i think even because like because even like the version in the 90s i don't i don't even think had that rating but this one managed to get that rating and stuff and so yeah 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 yeah. so so that one is really good uh but again to to move on to like the darker one yes like the complete contrast to yeah, little yeah, women and to, and to one that does have a uh, florence Pugh in it as well 
Um, oh yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. A whole bunch of them. I, I, I wanted to talk about Lady Macbeth first because Lady Macbeth. Yeah, 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 yeah. I loved it. Uh, I thought that it was um, really. But the thing is, is I was kind of surprised by how dark and unpleasant it was. You know, I wasn't really expecting it to be so uncomfortable and dark and messed up in terms of what it was showing, what it was presenting, just how thoroughly it was kind of putting the spotlight on how awful it must have been for some like women to be living in, you know, Scotland in the Victorian era and, you know, the kind of um, the lifestyle what's presenting and what she ends up doing to try and help escape that lifestyle and the kind of people that are around her, like the men and, you know, even the women mm-hmm. to a certain extent, all that stuff. It, it, it does, it captures all that stuff with like a lot of heavy realism Um that's helped by like the lack of music and even the camera work as well. Uh, Florence Pugh does a great job because she does get, get like she, like she is quite like sympathetic. You do feel quite bad for her, but there is this quite scary quality to her that comes so, out yeah, more a, and more as the film goes on. It's a very nuanced performance, an excellent balance of like, as you say, sympathy and just outright terror. Um, this, this is a character who has no kind of, desire to be put in a box like she will be in control of her life despite society and like kind of the expectations stating that no she won't be like mm-hmm. as we were kind of saying before like pride and prejudice you know like it's it is that time unfortunately where like you know women were married off and parts mm-hmm. of like for deals and for all kinds of you know they were it's like commodity almost and it's just ugh. and so yeah that's kind of what lady Macbeth starts as you know she's married off and she's kind of taken to a strange place and is expected to uh perform the wifely duties and um it's it kind of evolves into essentially the husband has to go off on business and the mm-hmm. florence pugh's character yeah, yeah, yeah. Establishes so her own kind of paradigm of control uh-huh. upon the manor, and it's uh, yeah, very dark, uh, dark film which I adore. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I like that too because um, you know it's just like it's very um, it's unwilling to like paint any character in like black and white. Um, and that's all the moral grays. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's also just a lot of um, you know, like uh, it, it is surprisingly unpredictable as well. Like I can't say that I really knew where it was going. And um, I think it kept up a good pace across like 90 minutes and stuff. And again, a lot of stuff happens in the movie, surprisingly enough, even though it isn't that long. Um, and yeah, and yeah, it, it, it was, it was really, really good. And, you know, it's kind of, um, it's interesting to see how like Florence Pugh kind of um, helped her career rise through these kinds of movies like obviously you can say that Kira Knightley did the same thing but I think it's just interesting to know that that's still a current thing where the best spot for like an actress especially like a young actress is to star in movies like this because I think it maybe gives the opportunity to um uh I, I guess like stretch your legs acting wise because I think definitely if if you need to if you are if you want to prove yourself as an actor I think one thing you have to do is act well in like um, the past, you know, or, or act well in like a past time period. Cause I think that takes a little bit more effort. I think like, you know, all the films we've kind of been talking about so far, they all just feature really well-written roles for women. Just like, mm-hmm. yeah. all, like, you know, Emma, little women, lady Macbeth, Gosford park, age of innocence. Like they all just feature really well-rounded characters. So like, yeah, mm-hmm. it, for kind of upcoming actresses or even you know veteran actresses like this almost this um 
guarantee that a, that a period drama, that a costume drama is not going to skimp out on the character work. Because kind of as we were saying even earlier, it was just like, it is kind of a genre which is very reliant on the dialogue and mm-hmm. the the staging. So it's kind of like, mm-hmm. it, it is almost theater in a sense of commanding the screen just through presence alone. You know, you don't have the benefit of like the action set piece. You know, um, Tom Cruise isn't going to jump through on a motorcycle yeah. and, and no, liven it up. No, 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 no. It's all dependent on kind of like how you're going to be able to keep the audience engaged through dialogue alone. Just like, even if it's just sitting, sitting at a chair. Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I mean, I yeah, Lady, yeah, yeah. Lady Macbeth is a film which does have quite exciting moments at points. There is, uh, there's the, you know, the politics of sex and then there's kind of like a criminal element. There's, um, there's, very interesting very interesting power plays happen in this film of just kind of who's really in charge and <laughs> that's true it's, that's true it's, yeah, um, yeah 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 definitely yeah for, for me like and i feel for you as well uh-huh. just keeps you engaged the whole the whole way yeah, through <laughs> yeah 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 in, in in quite an uncomfortable way um mm-hmm. yeah 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 oh, oh yeah and, and 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 to go on a side note as well i think i remember uh, the first movie I ever saw Florence Pugh in was, I think, her like debut film, which was called uh, *The Falling*. Uh, yes. I, I remember seeing that at, like college, and um, well, well, alone when uh, I was at college, we went we went on some like trips where we just saw some movies, you know. And um, mm-hmm. and funnily enough, afterwards there was actually like a a bit of a q and A, Q&A, you know, afterwards where we actually got to ask questions, and Florence Pugh herself turned up there, which is quite amazing in hindsight because at the time she was just like. I can't remember. I, I think this was in 2016. So I think she, L- Lady Macbeth, hadn't come out yet. But this was close to when Lady Macbeth was going to come out. I think so. She was just, so she just came there, and we just like asked her questions. And um, I, I actually remember asking her a question, which was um really cool because uh, what's kind of funny is that um I think I might have asked like the wrong question because she gave a very like quick answer to it, and she she almost <laughs> I could tell she almost seemed a little bit like. A little bit annoyed that I was even asking that question. Like, it can't, I mean, it makes sense in context to the film, but basically, I just asked, like, oh, did you see like subtext in this area? And she was basically just saying, no, I didn't, you know, but she was a bit, she just, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, 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 so that was kind of a funny memory. Um, I'd love to like actually meet her again and, you know, she's probably forgotten about that completely, but it, it would be really cool to, like, <laughs> ask her a question again at QA and word it really, really correctly, you know. But, but anyway, so, so, so but, but, but that's a totally pointless tangent. Anyway, um, no, it's yeah, awesome. <laughs> yeah, 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 no, no, no. In, in hindsight, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. Because she's like risen up really well, and that's it, it's really great. She does, yeah, yeah. She, she's a really, really good actress. Um, so know, I think, uh, yeah. Just to move on to the next film, kind of keeping on our theme of power plays and uh, kind of rise, fall, twisted figures. Um, should we speak about the favorite? Yeah. Oh, I was thinking uh, Barry Lyndon actually, uh, but but both of them. Can yeah, we talk about both? <laughs> head, aren't they? Like, but like both of them are quite similar. Um, they are. Yes. Because both of them feature like, um, I guess you could say, an innocent person who becomes more of a schemer or like has yes, a rise to power. It's um, it's rise to fall, corruption. It's it's mm-hmm. uh, who re- you know what is power. Uh, yeah, and I feel yeah, yeah, Barry yeah. Lyndon and the favorite, I don't know if the favorite shares, um, uh, a lot like, well, obviously share some visuals with like Barry Lyndon in terms of his like period setting, but like rewatching the favorite, I did feel like elements of Kubrick 
in mm-hmm. Lanthimos's directing, especially like kind of Clockwork Orange kind of absurdity, like the duck race and um, yeah, 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 the yeah, use yeah. of um, kind of the fisheye lens to kind of create this voyeuristic feel. Like it feels like so much of what we're watching in The Favorite is like we're watching like from a corner, like we're not supposed yeah. to be seeing this. It's it's just, it's it's such an absurd film because it's like one of the things that always makes me laugh about The Favorite is just how there's these serious things going on. Like, you know, there's a war with France. There's... There's um there's a possible revolt because like taxes are being risen like you know the country's in actually dire need of um, leadership and uh, and kind of intervention and yet it's just the lords are racing ducks and having parties and it's just like no one cares about anything that's actually important it's all these ludicrous games <laughs> yeah and then there's like gossip gossip going on you know or, the, or like you have the feeling of gossip in the central like relationship which is between like you know the free women the queen uh you know mm-hmm. the, she's like in a relationship with and then emma stone who ends up being the one who actually is like coming into usurp the power that um uh the rachel voice has and stuff like that and then it's kind of it ends up being one of those kinds of stories and um yeah it's really really cool to like see how much the film um manages to take something that could be quite dry and instead makes it really really hilarious but darkly so and very like um yeah you know, very like nasty but in a very like funny way like the amount of times they use like the c word uh, the amount of like, or, like all the sex content feels really like dirty, and even um, you know, it's, even it's, it's, it's still quite nasty as well. Yeah, and it's 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 the opposite of what you expect of like of high society. It's everything's um, rough, and because I'm I'm thinking like you know halfway through the film, Rachel Wise's character um, is drugged and falls off her horse and is dragged until she ends up in a brothel and she's just bruised and bloody. There's a scar across her cheek. Everything about this film is gorgeous and ugly at the same time. It's just this, it's like depravity, um, this uh, hypocrisy of elegance. Um, But it all looks gorgeous. Like again, like this genre is just a goldmine for impeccable costume design, set design, uh, performance all you know the three leads in this olivia coleman emma stone rachel wise are incredible they act their butts off as well coleman won the oscar for this film um but yeah like with the favorite it's it's just all these wonderful elements coming together and you know director yorgos lanthimos um just does like the exact opposite of what you would expect a period drama to be, which is what makes the favorite yeah. so striking. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. In some ways, he does kind of follow uh, Kubrick's um, wheelhouse. I, I think he is kind of similar to Kubrick as a director, but he does follow his wheelhouse because, like Kubrick's um, uh, take on like Barry Lyndon is a bit different mm. than what you might expect. It's nothing like uh, two thousand one or The Shining or anything like that. Um, you know, it's a lot more. It is more openly humorous like there was like i saw it at a cinema or at, like a re-release and the audience was laughing quite a bit surprisingly and um they also and then some of that was in reaction to a couple of like the surprising or shocking things that happen but it's also just generally because there is a surprising amount of humor even though the story itself is quite um dark when you look at it you know and i think um i i, I do think very linden is quite a good film and um what is interesting about it is like the structure that it takes, uh, the way it's yes. split up into two halves, um, and also just generally what happens in the first half compared to what happened in the second. It happens in the second half because the first half is the 
is the rise through yes. a series of like kind of only loosely connected events that happen to the main character. And then the second half is a lot more connected, it's, but it's the fall, you know. It's the fall, it's yeah. It's the rise and the fall. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, in, in that sense, I don't even want to really, like, summarize what happens in it because there's a lot of... I think it's one where, like, it's best to go into it blind and not knowing what's going to happen. Yeah, I mean, you you mentioned before, like, Kubrick's other films, 2001 or The Shining. And um, so, yeah, Barry Lyndon is Kubrick's period drama. It's his costume mm-hmm. drama. And uh, one of the things I would say about Kubrick is that he he never, he never like really did the same thing twice. He never, he did like, he maybe did like one or two war movies, but he Mm -hmm. basically just moved from genre to genre because the moment he did a genre, he just dominated it. (laughs) You know, 2001 is the sci-fi movie. The Shining is the horror movie. Pass of Glory is the war movie. And Barry Lyndon is the period drama. Like this film is phenomenal. I watched it on like a recording on TCM. So it's just like, you know, it's got commercials. It's like, it's not the highest quality. You know, I wish I had the Blu-ray, but even then, like Mm -hmm. this film just knocks you out. It is unbelievably made. The craftsmanship lives up the Kubrick's um, insanity. Every attention to detail is phenomenal. So many wide shots just filled with soldiers. Like, and you just know it's all real because he wouldn't have had it any other way. Yeah, Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think... I, I mean, a complete like, another recreation say, of the time period. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the only thing I'd say is that I think I, I think Cooper did do like more than one war film. You know, I think he did he did one called like Fear and the uh, Fear and Desire. And no, that's what I mean. Like, I think three. War Films is the one he kind of did a few of those, but everything else he kind of just like did one, moved on to the next. He did like he did Paths of Glory, like Full Metal Jacket, Fear and Desire. Yeah, but everything yeah, yeah, else yeah. was kind of like separate genres. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, the only thing that connects all of them is that almost all of them were based on books. But aside from that, you know, mm-hmm. it's like they, they 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 were still totally different. I agree. Um, and yeah, Barry Lyndon is more like um, it's more it, it it's in no way less cynical. Like it's not any it's not really any more cynical than his films, but it's a bit more uh humorous about it, or a bit and a bit more like there, there's not quite as much like dark bleakness to it but it is still quite a bleak story yeah no there's um, bleakness in this but i think it's contrasted um especially in the second part well first and second part which is like what truly matters matters to the character barryland and which is like his his ideas of love so like in the first half it's about you know the him feeling jilted as a suitor and that mm-hmm. kind of sparks the uh this catalyst of the story essentially challenges a arrival to a duel and the, the duel uh, leads to his life changing forever. And then in the second half, it's the, you know, the love he has for his son. And it's just kind of, you know, what is really important? Is it, is it your place or is it uh, your like kind of emotions? And it's like, uh, there's tra and it, I feel like it kind of creates some tragedy for Barry Lynn and we're just like, you know, in the end, what truly mattered Mm-hmm. Did yeah. did 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 what he build mean anything, or was yeah, it in yeah. you know, or was it the relationships that he just allowed to crumble and mm-hmm. and dissolve? And so, yeah, it 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 is a it's such a large film. Mm-hmm. Um, so many like, and when I mean large, I mean it's not just because of its length or anything, mm-hmm. but it's just in terms of how Kubrick kind of films it. Like, there's so much negative space. Yeah. in the shots like these huge empty fields these huge empty rooms linden is tiny in them 
he's yeah. he, uh-huh. he is like it's like he's a prisoner in his own life um yeah, absolutely there's a great scene where um towards the end pre, uh, just before the final duel begins where lord bullington kind of just walks up to him he's slumped in this chair mm-hmm. he's surrounded by like sycophants and mm-hmm. the uncaring and it's just like it, you know he's the height of his power he's the height of his wealth and it's just like he's he's got nothing <laughs> there's yeah. there's there is nothing and it's such a it's such a striking image of just like here he here he is barry linden and what is he <laughs> yeah 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 the, yeah the, uh uh there were a lot of memorable parts um yeah but to kind of and but but to move on so yeah yeah obviously we'll first recommend uh that film um but to <laughs> move on to one thing that like i i think does connect to uh to the uh to the genre to the next like kind of subcategory that we're going to talk about uh, the biopic um it's really interesting because like you know because the prestige technically fits into this sort of category of like corruption of individuals being corrupted and stuff and descents and downfalls and all that um but what i find most interesting is that the thing about the prestige and about dunkirk and hopefully this will be the case with oppenheimer as well is that chris nolan is really really um good at like permanently avoiding the boredom that sometimes these period films like not necessarily the ones that we're talking about but period films in general or at least what people think about them he's good at avoiding the sort of dryness that they fall into and i think that's because of the way he films it because the thing about the prestige is that um it's a fairly quickly cut film it's not like the takes on like very long or like it doesn't le- it doesn't really let your eyes get bored by it and i think mm-hmm. the camera work helps because it's very it's very sort of subtly handheld you know there's a sort of subtleness to like the way that it's shot where you know it kind of it gives your eye something to focus on and something to look at and i think although i think he's helped the most by like the script and just what's going on because the prestige is a really really well written film it does have uh, a really interesting story and a very unpredictable one as well like it's one that um i don't even want to talk about that much because if you haven't seen it it's like you know it's one of those films where i think like you, like after a certain point you need to like not know what happens in it because you need to be surprised by what takes place but what takes place is like it's basically like a rivalry between these two warring magicians and you know it's basically exploring like the lengths that they go to to embarrass each other what they then discover to like you know make their tricks uh, more complicated and all that and you know it's just I, I i think i think it's a really good movie i think it's um i think that one i think dunkirk is amazing and i think that it's up to how nolan like kind of handles them uh not just in the script but also in how he visually presents it as well because he like engages you in the stories that they tell i think no i agree yeah nolan is very well known for kind of pushing his filmmaking to the limit Mm-hmm. Um, especially with something like Dunkirk, um, yeah, yeah, not yeah, just yeah, in terms yeah. of visually, but it's it's editing as well. Kind of three narratives interlocked with one another, uh, explaining mm-hmm. kind of the, um, you know, what Dunkirk meant in that yeah, time period. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's, 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 you, you definitely get a sense of like the the feeling of the home front um, in that film of like you know what it took to actually like. You know, just for for a regular man to get in his boat, sail out there, and try and be a part of the effort. Um, yeah, but at the same time, kind of that. those the sacrifices made by just like the kids who just had no idea what they were doing. It was just like mm-hmm, the, yeah. that overwhelming sense of 
oh my god yeah, yeah, <laughs> i might yeah, die yeah. All that stuff, you know um, surviving and the fighting and stuff that was taking place but yeah i think it's and it's interesting because you, you know because because that one's a true story movie and you know prestige obviously it's not based on a true story but it's still like it's it's like that's a period it's element, a genre yeah. that's kind of adjacent and stuff like that and that's just interesting well it has it has real life figures if uh, nicholas yeah, tesla right. appears in the prestige uh-huh so yeah it, it yeah, does, yeah, yeah, it does yeah. pull yeah 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 definitely and um but yeah it's interesting because i think like for me personally the biopic is probably it's actually one of my least favorite genres um Mm -hmm. like not just of like period dramas and i know that i mean typically biopics are period films because it's hard to make a biopic of an event that's very very like recent oh no yeah you have to recreate the period Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't think of a lot of examples of them, um, you know, because uh, so typically a lot of biopics end up just being period dramas by like default, um, you know, or just period films films in general. But um, I'm actually not, I'm not really a fan of that kind of film, really. I mean, there, there are definitely exceptions, um, but overall that it's not really one that I'm that into personally. Um, I can give reasons why, but, but what do you think? oh with biopics um yeah yeah, yeah. Well, yeah well, i mean yeah okay. and it's, yeah. So, so yeah in terms of biopics like it's for me there there are some i enjoy there are some i don't i feel the issue with biopics is that it can lead to not lazy filmmaking but like by the numbers filmmaking where it's just agree, okay well yeah. like we'll, we'll do an impression we'll kind of recreate um famous moments with that person and mm-hmm. that'll be the movie um, yeah. which is why uh, just kind of like to list a more recent example, we don't have to go into it at all. Cause you know, it wasn't on our list, but like something like Spencer, which is something I enjoyed, which I know other yeah. people didn't, but the reason I like Spencer is because like, it's not recreating famous moments with princess Diana. It's kind of crafting its own story, its own performance. It's not an impression. It's just like, it's, it's, it's a bunch of artists kind of interpretation of a person and it, to debate whether or not it's accurate or debate whether or not it's, a film is a conversation for another day, but it's just like, I'd rather see a film like Spencer than like um, uh, something like being a Ricardo's or, um, or well, being well, Rhapsody well, really where it's just like, or it's just like, it's just impressions or it's just, yeah, it's just yeah. kind of recreating what we already know. It's like, uh, be yeah, more interesting. Pretty, yeah. Especially yeah, yeah. like with, with the films we've kind of talked about where it's just like, what makes these films, what makes period dramas really stand out. It's, it's when filmmakers um, and actors and artists can really just bring the world to life in a way we haven't seen before. Like we're mentioning some, some of these films are adaptations of, you know, novels that were written sent, you know, you know, decades ago, and yet they can still feel fresh um, and just as relevant when done today. And I think that's like um, something I wanted to bring up as well is like a lot of the films we've mentioned are are somewhat recent, you know, maybe in the two thousands or kind of the nineties. And it just kind of shows um, how the period drama is still strong, still vibrant, (laughs) still has a lot to offer. (laughs) Yeah, I agree because, uh, and and ultimately what, what I think the difference is, is that it's like, you know, a lot of these filmmakers are trying to like make great movies and a lot of them are also, um, trying to like in some way use the medium of filmmaking to tell the story and i think i i think darkest hour is kind of a like recent example of what i'm like kind of talking about and mm-hmm. you know and that is one where it does like take historical liberties but i think for me personally it's like it's the wrong kind of historical liberties taken 
where you, for the most part, like basically just make a standard movie about, you know, Winston Churchill just doing some like war debating and stuff like that. And then you try and like, you know, um, uh, change the story around and like, you know, it's not like the worst example of that, but it's, it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, you're making changes, but they're not really making the story more interesting. They're just sort of, and also I think another problem is that, is that like, whenever there are changes, they can't help but feel like, like changes or feel like additions. You know, I think that your brain like starts to recognize if something didn't happen in reality, even if you don't know whether or not it did or didn't happen in reality, which is sometimes a good thing because then you can be surprised when something did actually happen in reality. But I think your brain is good enough at like picking out moments where you're thinking, oh wait, that that didn't happen. That was just added there, you know, just for like, you know, for what what the writer thought would like make for a good story, you know, like in, and you know, and something like, like, like a uh, dog star, I think kind of suffers from that. Um, you know, I wasn't really, I, I, I didn't like dislike it by any means. Cause it's kind of, it's one of those things where it's like, it's too like in it, like sort of inoffensive to dislike, you know, it's not like there's nothing about it. That's like aggressively like bad in any sense, you know, like there, there's nothing about it. That's really like bad. It's just sort of kind of a bit mediocre and milk toast, you know? And I think it, um, and weirdly also like, uh, it's got one of these things where I actually think that like Gary Oldman kind of a lot of people said that his acting was good and it's not really that I disagree, but it's the kind of good acting that I think makes the film around him worse. Uh, and that might not make sense, but the way I see it, it's sort of like, you know, it's like you have a very big performance and it almost swallows yeah. up the film or at least it kind of, that's actually, means, it kind of then means that then the filmmakers kind of know, like we don't need to try as hard, you know, we don't need to do anything cool visually or we don't need to, like tell the story with the camera we don't really need to like um write in a lot of stuff that can then like you know flesh him out as a character we just have a kind of a big performance and that can kind of elevate whatever we write you know so therefore i think it just gives stuff like acting like that kind of gives filmmakers then the right to not make their movies as good you know yeah no i i agree with that i mean like that was kind of what was similar to the point I was trying to make before where it's like it can lead to kind of not lazy filmmaking but just kind of like yeah like you get the big performance and then that's kind of it like mm -hmm. you don't really construct an interesting interesting film around it which is why I was going to recommend to you just now have you ever seen Jackie um, uh, yeah I have seen it yeah which I would feel is actually a film which does both you have an incredible performance and an incredible film built around it uh, Jackie mm -hmm. is a film um, about uh, Jackie Kennedy in the aftermath of uh, JFK's assassination and um, it floored me. Mm -hmm. I thought it was amazing just because it was, it felt like, yeah, this is not just, this isn't a biopic. This isn't a period piece. It's like, it's a very, very, very nuanced character study about a woman who uh, was possibly, uh, you know, unfairly maligned by society for just being the president's wife. Um, but yeah, no, it's, I just, I love that film. I just, if you, you're, comments on darkest hour remind me of how much i love that film <laughs> just wanted to bring it up yeah 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 i agree and, and there are a lot of other uh biopics that kind of um that sort of suffer from that or like the other major problem which is that they they have a lot of material that they just sort of cram into a short amount of time like i think that um uh, lee daniels is the butler kind of has a similar problem where it's telling a very big epic story and they try and squeeze it into like two hours or two hours and 10 minutes. 
and you know i just think to myself like just make it three hours or just like make a tv series you know because this is like too much stuff that you're trying to put into one film and it's kind of interesting because like you know because that film and 12 years a slave both cover long periods of time but 12 years a slave works a lot more effectively whereas i think in something like the butler it just sort of feels like it's like a series of this happened okay now this happened now this oh, yeah, happened now we're into this president now we're into this yeah. president well you mentioned like the the idea of like a tv series for the butler i feel that could have been more effective because it, it is so many different types of periods in america and like mm-hmm. um i think because i think he started with eisenhower he, he was in the yeah. white house with eisenhower and like you know so from eisenhower to reagan america goes through so many rapid changes uh-huh. Uh, yeah. you know politically socially um you know the civil rights movement of the 60s with johnson but then you know you got the corruption of nixon it just feels like yeah like you bear, you just skim over the the kind of the richness of what each period could present to that film and it's just yeah you feel but then again the film is kind of how he's so um blind to it all he has no idea kind of like what america's going through in in terms of like because that's kind of what his his son's living through that and he's kind of uh forrest whitaker's character but butler is um he's apolitical he's he, mm-hmm. he has no interest in that kind of similar to what the remains of the day you know the yeah. anthony hopkins character just not wanting to acknowledge the world outside of service um and yeah. but with 12 years a slave um very effective film yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Captures it captures that period terrifying, yeah. terrifyingly well. The shot, yeah. the shot that always lives with me with Twelve Years a Slave. It's it's the hanging scene, and it just oh, yeah, 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 they yeah. hang him. He's there, and the camera just holds, mm-hmm. and work resumes as normal. It's it's horrifying, and yeah, that, that's yeah, yeah, always yeah. stuck with me ever since I saw it. Like in 2013, I always that that's the shot that always sticks with me. I'm just like that is it's a nightmare. It is a nightmare yeah. of a movie in the best way. <laughs> yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. I agree because, like, because, because, to, to I mean, to go back to the Butler, like, there was were some parts of that film that like strung together were quite good, um, but just generally, it just kind of had that issue. Uh, and I think you know, like, it just sort of also it, like I, as a result, it just meant that it wasn't quite as impactful as it wanted to be, and I didn't think it had that much focus. And you know, I think it would have benefited from like you know just narrowing the scope you know in some sense or at least like picking picking a more consistent story uh but something like 12 years a slave succeeds at that spectacularly because we're with one guy throughout the entire film but the film still gives you a sense of what it was like for most people um you know i think what's really interesting about it is the choice to uh tell a story not about um you know a random slave but about a guy who is basically you know a guy who lives a very nice, basically privileged a, lifestyle that then gets he was a free man thrown into it, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he gets just like thrown into it. You know, it's kinda it's it's quite a you know, it's a in some ways it's it's a bit it's a horror movie. Toward, like today's audience, you know, like today's I think people today can maybe are a bit more afraid of that idea happening to them than, you know, like maybe watching a story about somebody who would already be dis- disadvantaged from the beginning. Um, you know, and, you know, unfortunately the main disadvantage is that like slavery was still a thing back then, you know, and stuff. And it shined. I, I, yeah, I do think, I, I think it's definitely, it's one of, cause like you look at a movie like 12 years a slave and you do think like, oh, that would be so easy for a filmmaker to kind of just, um, create a very simplistic like slavery is bad film 
you know, mm-hmm. but it's one of those things where, like, despite, you know, the subject matter and despite the all-star cast, um, it's basically like art house Oscar bait, you know, or, 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 well, it's not even really, it's not even what I'd call Oscar bait, you know, it's kind of, it's basically the most, like, it's like Steve McQueen and John Ridley made a movie and they made a bit of an unconventional film as well because it's not, um, it's a film that's so visual and a film that's so atmospheric and uh, it's one that does capture the reality of the situation and it captures it in a very specific way in that it doesn't really sugarcoat a lot of the stuff that happened back then. Oh no. <laughs> and, you know, and it does. And, you know, and M- McQueen like doesn't cut when typically maybe another filmmaker would, uh but you know at the same time though i didn't i did notice that there wasn't a lot of on proper on-screen violence and there were only like select key moments where you see the lashes on their backs and stuff like that and in those moments it's just like really disturbing because you know because you, you see the detail and stuff and yeah it's a yeah it, it's, it's a really powerful film i really i yeah i did it it moved me really emotionally it was intense and disturbing but really like but really excellently presented i'd probably you know, I haven't seen all of Steve McQueen's movies, but it's probably, I think it might be, it, it's probably his like crowning achievement, I think, because he just manages to, you know, capture it better than maybe any other filmmaker has. Definitely. Well, yeah, no, I feel 12 Years a Slave is a, is a film which approaches that topic, um, for lack of a better word, very tastefully, because yeah, it's very easy to like, I, I feel to broach the subject and broach that time period and just kind of go for something you just just pushing it to a limit which is just like visually disgusting which is like oh like the whipping and the Mm -hmm. and the 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 human rights abuses and just the Mm -hmm. dehumanization and just have it come off as like really unsettling and really ugly but with mcqueen's direction and their their development screenplay and chiwetel lgfor's performance Mm -hmm. it it just it maintains the humanity throughout Especially, yeah, like, you know, with Lupita Nyong'o's character as well, but you know, his humanity and Fassbender's character—it shows it shows both spectrums of like it shows the whole spectrum of humanity: the cruelty, the kindness, the cowardice, the mm-hmm. the the sympathies, the the rage. Like when you're speaking about violence, like you know, there's those moments of physical violence, but I said a whole film's like is emotional and psychological violence, just like you know, this man being dehumanized before our eyes and yet holding on to that part of himself which he knows is his own um he's got yeah, that, like, amazing like line. that amazing that amazing line when he says you know he doesn't want to survive he wants to live he knows his yeah. life is worth more than just kind of getting past like the horrors of, sl- of the day in the slave uh, day of the slave um mm-hmm. that's what makes it such a striking piece for that period and i was going to say like you know if you really enjoy 12 years of slave i would recommend um Barry Jenkins, The Underground Railroad, which mm-hmm. is a series on Amazon Prime. Yeah, I, I haven't seen that. It's very good, and it kind of feel it kind of follows similar a similar kind of vein as Twelve Years a Slave in terms of kind of just focusing on the humanity of the mm-hmm. people who endured it, um, and just the that period of America. It is like Twelve Years a Slave, incredibly shot, incredibly put together a a masterwork by uh, Jenkins and I feel um we should probably start to wrap it up <laughs> yeah 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 my yeah my like thing is uh, like j- just to finish on as well because the slave as well it's, it's definitely um it's one of those movies that I think um is is it's, it's a good like balancing act as well and it's kind of um it doesn't 
like like despite the all star cast, I think that I I think that they are used quite well in the film, and I think that the film like gives them proper material to play, and it doesn't um it doesn't really present anything that's that's like you know for lack of a better word like black and white or anything like that. It just sort of but it still makes the obvious point of like you know slavery being bad and stuff. And mm-hmm. yeah, I think it yeah it's one of those movies that definitely like it hit like it it really hit hard for me personally. You know, it just sort of um. It just sort of it got it got me invested in it. it has a total punch at the end, but it's very it, it's it's pretty cathartic with how it uh, concludes as well. And um, you know, I did some reading up on the true story as well, and I kind of I saw a couple of like certain fates that were quite deserved, you know. So definitely, yeah. so don't forget to do that after you watch it. No, I will. I will uh, check that out the next time I watch uh, Twelve Years a Slave. Mm-hmm. Um, so on that, I think we will kind of wrap up. Uh, it has been a wonderful conversation. I feel we've discussed uh, an incredible array of films, mm-hmm. made some very uh, wonderful observations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, any, uh, any like last minute recommendations or kind of comments uh, on period dramas just before uh, we no, sign no. off? No, no. Um, the one thing I will say is that there is an abundance of period dramas out there. So if, uh, if you're looking for more than the ones we've discussed, you can find, you will find them. There are hundreds, possibly thousands, um, period dramas, the genre that keeps on giving. Uh, I'd like to thank everyone for listening, uh, and hope you will join us next time. Good night. See ya. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're 
you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com.